This is Season 2, Episode 11 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Our episode tonight, Using Lore and Knowledge Skills, or How to Use Lore That Doesn't Dump. everyone, welcome again to Mastering the RPG, tabletop RPG podcast, like I said. Um, we'll give you advice, ideas, cool stuff found, emails, all sorts of good stuff. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James. You can find all our information at masteringtherpg.com. That's all one word. Send us email with feedback or questions or, you know, just tell us where you listen to it and how you listen to it, all that good stuff. Anything you want to tell us at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. That's Game Master at MasteringTheRPG.com. Hey, guys. It's great to be on the mic once again with you. How, uh, Eric and James, how are you doing? James, what's going? What's been going on? How are you doing? Oh, going on very well. Uh, thanks, Carl. Um, living a gamer's life at the moment. Lots of games running, uh, running amok. Uh, I spent almost all of yesterday creating virtual tabletop maps, which seems to be a part of my life now. Um, so <laughs> sitting in on Dungeon Draft, creating creating maps, which is good fun, um, and a really successful week of games, I've got to say. I had a bit of a rough start, but by the end of it, we had a lot of fun by the last game of, uh, of, of the week uh, yesterday. So uh, busy, 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 busy all the time, running Dungeons & Dragons, running Call of Cthulhu. It's um, yeah, it's an exciting time. And I'm off to Oz Comic Con in two weeks. Um, oh, doing a couple of days of uh, working for Chaosium uh, for Call of Cthulhu, running a little one-shot to introduce people to both tabletop role-playing and also Call of Cthulhu. So uh, I've got to put my um, got to put the finishing touches on my safari suit for my cosplay for Oz Comic Con for oh, a couple fantastic. of weeks time, which is a bit of fun. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Eric, how, how about you? What you been up to? Uh, you know, more of the same. Uh, games ending, games starting. Um, still working on my thing, but I've just had some other stuff going on, so taking longer. And then part of that is actually about the, the lore, uh, <laughs> which you can get caught up in, so it'll be good to talk about. Apropos. Apropos. Yeah. Are you are you falling into the trap? Are you writing an encyclopedia of law? No, Garrick. No, but but yeah, I, I can do that. So it's it's very interesting. But uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I I wrote a lot of lore that specifically had to do with the player options. Well, I guess we'll talk about this in the episode because yeah, yeah. we're kind of moving ahead. But, <laughs> yeah. Don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So um, well, for for me, I uh, the characters have been. Uh, the game that Erickson, the characters came back home and found out that the bad things had happened and um, they had to do something about it. And they did um, almost in, it was a tough, it was a tough fight, but they, they uh, I think persevered and now they'll get a chance to question the folks who have been involved and maybe learn a little bit more. And they're learning a little bit each time um, and getting, I think closer to the end goal, um, at least in my opinion. I don't know if they feel like they are getting closer to the end goal, but um, uh, in my opinion, that's how it's going. And uh, other than that, I'm super tired, so I hope I don't fall asleep on the microphone. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is all nothing to do with gaming. So it's all like, unlike James, who lives in upside down world, and it's winter time. We are in the summertime, and I think me and Carl, both of us, have been doing a bunch of yard work uh recently so <laughs> yeah and i'm an old man Physi so, physical oh, yeah, labor what the hell man. i know i know 
Yeah, this old man doing physical labor, it tires me out. And then I'm chasing my granddaughter around, so that tires me out too. So that's just the way it is. So anyway, hey, that's cool. It sounds like a lot of good stuff going on. Um, today we don't have a cool stuff. I, I actually, I, I have a very quick cool stuff. Oh, do you? Yeah. There. Hey, wow. Uh, right. I just thought of it. Right yeah, off, right, right off the of cuff. Pants. All right. Yeah. Um, this one is a Patreon that I belong to, and both of you remember the maps that I used in Agents of Woe. Um, the guy's name is Solution Maps. He by far has the the nicest, coolest, both static and animated maps, and he's only been getting better. And why I'm talking about it now is because so normally he did science fiction, um, cyberpunk mostly, and some post-apocalyptic maps. Um, and now he had a, he has a whole new channel of fantasy maps. Oh, wow. And they're just beautiful. And he does, like, when you get a pack of maps from him, he'll do have multiple maps that can connect, including those scenes. I don't know if you guys remember. Like, he'll 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 draw out scenes. So it's like scenes from a first uh, first. Uh, but, uh, God. first perspective I, uh, yeah from, from yeah. like a from like the character's perspective perspective so you can see the map from different dimensions and it's by far the nicest patreon and it's not that expensive so i highly recommend um it's i think it's solution maps and solution fantasy so so two, is his patreon um, cover both or is there a separate patreon no there's separate so there's a solution maps for cyberpunk science fiction and then there's a separate one for fantasy and i got in right at the ground floor for the fantasy i think it might still be that way so it's like cheaper now if you like join because he doesn't have a big library like he does for the cyberpunk one um and he also so he does like once you join you get like the normal kind of maps that are like every two weeks or something um I can't remember if it's every week or every two weeks. And then he, and then when like you get the backlog, but then his really, really big maps, you can only get once you're a Patreon. And those are like things that he sells on um, RPG at home or uh, no, <laughs> uh, uh, drive through RPG. Drive Thank you for RPG. the plug, Eric. Yeah, Appreciate you're that. You're uh, drive through RPG for like five bucks and then you get them for free once you're a Patreon. And those are like the big maps. If you guys remember from the bowling alley, which was like, yeah. had multiple maps. That was one of his big maps. So yeah, it's the motion is excellent. Everything about it is just really cool. So that's my uh, that's my cool stuff. Oh, that is pretty cool. There goes another. Cool. There goes another five bucks a month. Thank you. I'm, I'm <laughs> <You're welcome. solution laughs> they look amazing. I've just yeah, I've they just are. been logging on while you're talking and uh, just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Really, really pretty stuff. And he does like you can get it in different um, like 1080p. You can get it in like super um, HD. You can get it like in lower res for like browser you get in different file types he really co covers the gamut so yeah oh very cool and that's five bucks a month is that right uh, five bucks a month the for the lowest three tier. bucks yeah i guess yeah. it's five bucks now yeah uh, okay. well sorry As australian could be you know five thousand shekels or whatever you call yeah. it over here. yeah it's three or five I, I don't know i joined it early so it was three but it might be five bucks a month now yeah yeah Oh, very cool. All right. Well, thank you for that off the cuff cool stuff because that definitely is cool stuff. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and hit the main topic. All right, everybody. Welcome to the main topic. Again, we're all about uh, talking about using lore and knowledge skills. Um, so uh, I'm looking at the guys on the screen and I'm confused. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh we'll get to the main topic and uh i think uh, i'm gonna run through this a little bit um and take uh take the lead on it this time and so let's talk about let's start with campaign lore so what do we mean by lore what is lore when we talk about an rpg game and campaign and i'm, I'm gonna kick it over to james 
uh, who's making maps right now. Um, so kind of building out lore in a sense. So uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about it. Building out lore. What, what is lore? What is lore? Um, lore is information within the world. I guess is is in in a in a shortest shortest thing possible. Um, when I think about lore, I think about the history. I think about the religion, science, the politics of a place. Um, some of the esoteric law, some of the hidden occult knowledge that might be in your game world uh, could be information about your different societies, different uh, different groups within the within the within the world. It's basically information about the world that we try and reveal to our players or players try to discover. Um, in some ways, it's a bit like the exploration pillar when we talk about the three pillars of gaming, exploration, role play and combat. In some ways, I, I think lore is like the exploration pillar where you're exploring information about the world around you um, in, in the simplest terms. Campaign lore. Oh, I do. I, I would say that, that. Yeah, that was very good. Um, but I feel like for, for me, lore is so broad that it really does. It can suffuse all pillars of play. And we talked about it last time for interesting combats how you can insert lore, and you can certainly insert lore and social um, stuff too. But you're right. It's obviously mostly for exploration, but because it is the world building, right? It's the set dressing. It's the it's the props, right? It's it's kind of there ev everywhere. It's there at all times. <laughs> and, there's, and there's different kind of different types of lore. So it's all those things are discoverable and understanding, but there's there's the things that the character know as being part of the world. So they just know it, right? They're part of the world. Yeah. There's things that the characters know that mm -hmm. it's from their past. You know, they're from a certain area in the world. They're from a certain society. And so there's things that they know. There's common knowledge that pretty much everybody knows or people of the different areas. So when they visit, it's easy to discover this information. And then there's the secrets, right? There's the 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 underbelly, I don't know what you're the right way to saying, but there's the secrets of the world that are revealed during play. And I think that's something that we'll dig in a little bit later, really, because that's kind of as players discover lore, that's part of what they discover, right, is these secrets um, and parts of the world that they don't just know um, or recall. Um, so we'll definitely talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah. yeah, that's well, right. It's like and impossible and obscure knowledge. Know, right? Yeah, it's impossible for them to know because nobody knows it or very few people know, and you've made that decision as a game master, right? Um, yes, yes. Right? I think, I think what, when we're talking about the mechanics, this comes up a lot with what people roll, how do they, if, if they roll, what they get, but there's some lore that's just going to be, there's just no possible way for them to know it, right? Because it's, yeah. that's the Yeah, I think, of, I think yeah. there's, there's three of these tiers in there. Common knowledge where everyone should know it. There's almost like specialist knowledge. And when you think, you know, in, in our world, you, you know, you study, further study, you go to university or you, you, you do a trade or something like that where, you, where you're accumulating knowledge, uh, less, Personal. less yeah. common, uh, more obscure knowledge. And then there's the secrets, the secrets of the world, which are unknown yeah. until, until you delve very deeply into it. Yeah. Although Carl made the good point. So it's not always about studies, right? There's sometimes you have a special lore. If you, like if you grew up in the northern climates you and, and like in a viking society you might know about the mythology of that more than somebody mm. else would just because you grew up with it so i don't know if that's common knowledge is covered by yeah so anyways well it's common to you but not necessarily common to, to everybody people. right yeah. yeah yeah or you have something unique in your backstory right like you were visited by a god or you had an experience with some type of creature um that would give you insight into that that other people, other people don't right exactly exactly so all that information that we talked about is, is part of the lore of the world. Um, 
and how you understand the the information within the world. So, but the whole point of this is right. It's it's part of the game. So as a GM, um, or even I guess you know later as a player, we talk about that a little bit. But as a GM, how do you use it? What's what's the whole purpose for? We sit down and we write copious notes about the lore of our world and information about it. And then players create backstories that have their own lore that they were bringing into the campaign. Why the heck are we even bothering with that? Um, so uh, who, who wants to jump in on that? Um, I will. I, I mean, why do you bother? For me, lore is the, is the texture. It's the, it's the, the rich background to your entire game world. Um, you can describe what the world looks like, but it's, a, it's that extra level of information which encompasses the ancient, the ancient civilizations in your world, the rich complexity of different religions, the, the way the politics meshes together, the way that different groups, the anthropology of your world, it, 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 kind of, it is all that base information that, that provides a richness to your campaign world that, that may, and it makes it unique to uh, every different games master and how they portray their world. I mean, part of the beautiful thing about tabletop role-playing games is we create rich worlds that are entirely different to everyone else's. And I and, and it's through, in a, in a great part, because of the lore of the world, because of the, the, the details and the, the information that we present to our players that, is, that makes our worlds unique to everyone else's world. Um, and yeah. and I, I think it's, it's a great strength to what, to what we do that that uh, other media, you know, computer games and board games don't get the opportunity to do. I think it, it, it's one of the things that sets our, our hobbies apart from others. Yeah, and I think it makes it the world feel alive and vibrant. Things like maps, yeah. maps are a static representation of the atlas of the world, but the lore is what makes it the world, right? It's, it's really what makes it feel alive, um, a vibrant, a different place, like you said, James, a unique it's something that you want to go and explore because there's information out there that you want to learn that's not just, I want to go to a place that's on a map, right? There's, there's stuff mm. I want to discover and learn. Um, yeah. yeah, it makes it feel real. I mean, that's what world building does for books, right? Um, uh, it makes it feel uh, lived in and their societies. And like you said, there's unique. I think a, a, a other part of it is also it, it informs the narrative of games, like the type of games that you're playing in. Um, when, when you get when when players get exposed more to the lore, then they can kind of oh this is the type of game we're playing. You know if you're in a, in a world that is oh there was an emperor that's uh, empire that's fallen and um, you know the undead came in here and this this lands are black wasted and so then you, you get the feeling of oh this is this is going to be more of like a, a grim dark game right this is going to be more gritty because that's what kind of the society that I'm in is more of a gritty society and. And these factions kind of give you, oh, it's this type of game. It's a, it's a, it's a war game. You know, it's a game where we're fighting against an evil, or it's a war where the underdogs. Like you can say that to players, but really, the, it, it takes shape once they start discovering more and more of the lore. Um, and I think that's one of the best ways is, is to really uh, because it furthers the plot, right? It, it informs the plot a lot, and that's how game masters use it too. Is to, um, you'll put out little seeds and hints about what you want the plot to be, um, often through lore. Um, that either them discovering it or coming upon things. I mean, Carl, you use that a lot um, in your games. You, yeah. You love, uh, yeah. My games are all about finding, or a lot of them are about there's secrets that are out there that the players learn. That's the lore and the rich fabric of the, the, the world, the galaxy, the universe that they live in. Um, 
Yeah. And, and often it's like in the type of game changes, like in the most recent game we're playing, like coming up, I thought it was going to be more of a um, kind of not normal, but like, you know, <laughs> planet hopping science fiction game. And um, once we started discovering more stuff and we're like, oh, that is not the type of game this is. Like we were kind of seeing it with the way our encounters were. But once we started discovering, oh, this is there's like some basically, you know, universal uh, conspiracy almost like going on um, that things are not what they seem. And like once we started getting more information, it like really changed the way like where our characters were reacting and were building towards um, and how I even saw the game as a whole. Like, oh, this is not that type of game at all. Um, so that was all because of lore, the way that he introduced the lore um, to our to the players. And and some games really focus hard on it. I'm I I'm yeah. running uh, a game called uh, Call of Cthulhu at the moment for Masks of Nyarlathotep, and it's got almost an encyclopedia attached to that module because the the background <laughs> lore of the world is significant. You know, we've got ancient histories, we've got esoteric history. There's a lot of geopolitical in there. Um, and there's a lot of information that you can then present to your players to really give them a good sense of where they are in the world and the forces in the world that, that are arrayed against them. So uh, different games do this in different ways, um, and some do it, you know, far more detailed than others, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Very cool, very cool. Um, so, uh, and, and obviously it's, uh, you know, the, the GMs can use different factions or NPCs or whatever to kind of keep that knowledge out there until it's necessary um, to move that plot forward, which is kind of like we, we touched upon a little bit. So, so I think, I think the last thing that just wanted to throw this in the last thing that lore really does, it also informs character options. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot like, because even with the same system like D and D or whatever, um, the different type of game you're playing and based on the lore, you might have access to different races um, in one and not the other and vice versa or you know uh, like new classes or new feats or whatever it is so yeah, that it can right. lore can really really construct and, and i'm going through this with building up my own fantasy setting um you know the lore and the character options go hand in hand for me and they kind mm. of inform each Absolutely. other and helps me write it and it definitely like oh once i think of a certain lore thing that will then kind of narrow down a character option for me so that makes sense. Those are very intermingled too. Yeah, yep, and dictates sure. religions and social castes and yep. all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. It um, it is it it presents uh, a whole heap of options for characters to to develop. So so we talk now the GMs. That's how they use it. That's what um, uh, the reason we have it and what it drives. But oh my God, how do we do it so badly? Sometimes <laughs> you know it's it's right in the, it's right in the title, right? Lore that doesn't dump. Um, so how do, how do we do it so badly? What do we do wrong? And that will kind of inform us as to how we make ourselves better. Um, what do you, so let's jump right to James. Uh, what do we do wrong? I, I already alluded to one of the things for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, the biggest trap, and I think everyone does this. I, I, I came across a, a box of old, um, Dungeons and Dragons stuff from when I was a teenager, from when I was 12 or 13, when I first created my first world. And I found a little notebook in it that had 58 pages of the history of my world. Uh, I think the biggest trap is we overdo it. You know, we, we, we write way too much uh, in terms of background detail uh, and, and, and create these very intricate worlds where we feel like we need to create the history of the world or the 
the religions of the world and write copious amounts of information. And to be fair, look, who doesn't like it? We're, we're in world creation mode. It's a very creative, exciting thing for a games master to do. It, it's what set the hobby apart. But I think one of the, the biggest traps that we do is not just is, is writing too much in that we, we, we create these huge amounts of law that, um, limit us in some ways. Yes, exactly. But then, more importantly, more importantly, we create too much that we then have to interpret to the players, um, and that can be a real issue because I think there's nothing worse than these kind of long-winded law dumps, these monologues of of, of history, where you find yourself uh, running a, a lecture in some ways, a, you know, an hour-long lecture <laughs> to your players about. Let me tell you about the history and religions of our ancient lands. Yeah, and, and it's most. Uh, of, it's, oh my God! Can it drag a game? It's well, really can, important, I, I, yeah, <laughs> that you go so and so begat, so and so begat, so and so begat, so and so. Well, I think I think that's what I I want to talk about because I I actually think that I mean you can go too hard. It sounds like you did, but I don't think that's really the problem. I think it's fine to do a lot of writing as long as you don't have expectations that the players are going to care. Or right. um, actually learn about it. And I think that is the problem. And you touch on that, James. It's like you can have a lot of lore and that's fine because it gives that background that you can draw from when you need to. But don't try to force it on the players and don't expect them to care as much as you do. As long as you're okay mm. with most of it never being heard by the players or used, then it's fine because, you know, uh, it's like what J.R. Tolkien, right? He, he did a lot of his writing was world building. I mean, and he didn't include a lot of it in his books. Like that was just for his own background. Um, so you don't always need to include it all. And that, I think that's the point that I'm making. The, to me, the trap really is not so much as how much you write. It's it's the forcing upon players or getting disappointed. And the other trap is that you might get yourself burned out. So that's if, if you have to know yourself, right? If you're going to get burned out, then don't do that. But, but yeah, for, for me, it's definitely the, the, the force exposition, like you guys said, and the, um, you know, expecting players to care. I think. But one thing uh, when you write a lot just uh, that I find is then you, you don't have – um, the ability to adjust on the fly. Because we talk about a lot on mm. adventures that, you know, you have to be able to, as the players lead you, sometimes, too, lore has to change, right? You know, as the players are making yeah. changes, like, you know what? That religion really isn't how that religion works. And so you just have to be, be willing to kill your kill your darling too as you go along yes. so um, that, that, that's exactly the point but again it's not like that you wrote too much it's that people don't want to change it or they you know right, i right. think that's that's the really point is that you can write stuff but be willing to change it be willing to not ever let it be heard by anybody at all you know <laughs> so that i think that's the main thing that yeah i think also uh, there's a tendency to Include a lot of very specific detail in, in your in your campaign law too, and I think there is a trap of listing the bland in some ways, you know. Uh, and I, I I can't forget the the kind of Star Wars analogy. You know, if you look at uh, the the first ever Star Wars movie, there is law there, but it, gee, it's it's very quickly brushed over. You know, oh, I thought you mean in your the father intro, in, the, in the intro scroll. Uh, in the, no, no, in, in the game. So, you know, oh, everyone can okay. says, you know, I fought with I fought with him during the Clone Wars. That's yeah. it. No yeah. no mention about what the Clone Wars is. No, nothing else. Just a quick, I fought with him in the Clone Wars and leave it at that. Whereas if you look three, four yeah. movies later, suddenly there's these huge expositions of uh, trade embargoes and the way yeah, that the, yeah. the Empire works. And, and it gets into this minutiae of detail 
which loses all aspect of imagination and all aspect yeah. of kind of fantasy. And in the end, you're dictating every little machination of the world rather than coming up with some cool things that you can kind of throw out there as law and let the players' imaginations fill in the gaps in a lot of ways. I yeah. think, I think yeah. one of the traps is getting too detailed um, because often it just can be a line or two that, that is intriguing to people. A, a good example is I'm running this, this Call of Cthulhu game at the moment, and yes, there's a lot of information about various dynasties of Egyptian history, but all the players really needed to know was there was, a, there was once a, a pharaoh that, uh, that wanted to resurrect a dark god and that was about all that you really need to say as opposed yeah. to, you know, uh, full pages of all this detail that you need to write. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I mean, this might be kind of in our next topic, but I think that's that's the really trick is let the players be the ones to set the pace of how lore comes out and is disseminated. Like, you, you say, like you, exactly how you said, you say your little, like, interesting little tidbits, and if they don't want to know more, then that's fine. Right. And then but then one player might want to know more and then you will then unveil it. And I think that's going to be the best for everybody is have them be the kind of operator of the the, the shoot of the, of, the, of the lore shoot. You know, like they yeah. have the hand on the lever. Let them decide how much they want to come into the feeding trough, I guess. It's yeah, because if you dump too um, much, they're just yeah. going to miss the flowers for the weeds. Um, yeah, if you just yeah. dump too much at the and they'll never pick up on on the beautiful <laughs> parts of the, your lore. <laughs> I think the, the other big thing about the me metaphors are getting great. I, I love the shoot of flowers, and you're picking the weeds out, and it's you're on the conveyor you don't belt like the of feeding weeds. Trough? You don't like the like a bunch of pigs in a pen with the feeding trough um, eating flowers. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think for me, the biggest thing, especially as a player, is when when and I see this as the biggest. And we've talked about we've definitely talked about this before. Is that when you rely way too heavily on it to be the thing that actually does keep the narrative going, or that does oh, yeah. like go from the next scene? Is that oh they had to discover this one thing and they had to do research and they had to know about this to kind of move the plot forward? And I think it can be a good device, but you you don't want to become over reliant on it, and you never want it to be the only thing. Um, and I think that can that can also be a trap. It's like if you get too bogged down in the lore being the the whole mechanism to move the narrative forward, you're also going to um, get tripped up often. I, I was talking to one of my players this week. I went up to lunch with one of my players and and I, 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 this came up about lore and about the drip feeding of lore and how much information that you provide the player. And and he said to me, um, he's playing in, in a Call of Cthulhu game, and he's saying, one of my fears is is that we that we're spinning wheels, that we're not that we're not learning accurate information that will actually help us succeed against the enemy and against against the big bad and and in some ways i think that there's a few levels of this you know there's information that you must present in order for the storyline to continue you know in yeah. for the story to go you've got to provide some of this plot in lines and and some law within the game but that's the stuff that needs to be freely available that you don't you don't limit by behind dice rolls and you don't make obscure knowledge then there's kind of the extra information that makes beating the bad guy easier so understanding more about the history or the or the religion or or the politics then makes the 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 success more likely and easier and then there's the really obscure stuff which is kind of the 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 do not pass go collect two hundred dollars kind of information that if you're successful in finding the really obscure stuff well that should then lead to high successes in the game so if you link if you link law success and, and the obscurity of law with success within the game, then that, that also seems to, to work very, very well. 
So, so that, I think you're you're running right into it, right? Is um, so, what's the right way of un- unveiling this information or or providing it to the players? So now we know how we suck at it. Sometimes, what what should we do to provide that information to the players? And you already touched upon a couple of things already, but what other what other things might make sense? A lot of it's about how we present the information. Um, the monologuing of, of Games Masters when, when you start reading out the history, I think is a particularly poor way to do it. But there are good ways in which you can present this info. Um, one of them is really through the world. You know, the, the, as, as people explore the world, then there are tidbits of information and there's how the law is portrayed around how you describe and how people interact with the world. A good example is uh, religions are very a very simple one. If you're looking at a fantasy setting, you arrive at a village. There are two two temples here. They seem to uh, they seem to have uh, followers that don't get along very well. And one one temple is a symbol of this religion. The other temple is a symbol of this religion. And and you can tell that one is uh, is is kind of agrarian about about growing things, and the other one is about war. And this town seems to be divided along religion la- grounds. Um, that's not necessarily a, a law exposition and a law dump, but it allows players to get an understanding about how religion operates within this village, within this place, and then allows them to explore more information. The world itself, um, and as you describe it, can be very, very good in terms of um, in terms of finding law. Old ruins are another great one where you, you stumble upon a, a ruin that, that has ancient writing on the walls as opposed to me just reading out the history of the world. That's That's one way. Um, Eric, what do you think? Do you have uh, a thought? Well, yeah, I, I agree with it. That in general, I think that's the best way is to put narrative hooks or interesting, um, interesting hooks or tidbits, um, kind of like fishing lore, you know, out there. And players might take a bite or they might not. But when they do take the bite, that's when you use, that's when players use their own skills and you can then disseminate because um, because they're the driving force, like we talked about. Um, now, what I was talking about at the head of the episode, and this is only if you're doing your own setting, um, where I think you can write a lot of lore is with player options, because that's where players will then, like when I mean like different ancestries, right? Like so, I'm writing, I'm making my own races ancestries in my setting, and there I put a, a couple paragraphs for each one because I kind of made them interesting. And there, players, they might not read it, but they're more, but you're more likely to because that's because that's something that they're creating for their own character. They want to know about their character. So you can insert lore into things like that. Like, they're probably not going to read, like, if I wrote a whole, you know, if I write a five-page, like, this is where the, what the world's like, a lot of people probably aren't going to read that. But they're definitely going to read about their class, and they're definitely, I mean, not definitely, but mostly they're probably going to read about their class, and they're probably going to yeah. read about their, their race, right? Because it's like their, their own personal thing, and they want to know about it. They want to role play. So um, when you kind of put lore into those, like into the character things, you know, the same thing with like giving characters an item um, and you could give them like a magical, you know, if you give them, say, like a magical jacket or a magical whatever breastplate, whatever, um, you can attach some lore to that when they're doing like, oh, when they're identifying it. So things that players care about when it has to do with their own characters, that's a really good way to like sneak in lore, basically, when you attach it to either character items or character options like I was talking about. And, Absolutely. And, want, and, and sorry, sorry. No, go. no, no, jump on in. Um, that's, that's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll make my point after you jump in. That's fine. Uh, 
if you think about their classes, I immediately maybe think about, say, the world of Dragonlance and Kryn with wizards and, and how yeah. magic's operated, you know, having having red, black and white wizards based on, on alignment and, and how that works. It immediately uh, gives characters a choice about which of the areas they want to get into and then you're allowed, you, you can fill it up with, with lore about the different the different wizarding schools and bits and pieces and the similar vein with clerics and paladins with religion. You can, right at the beginning of the game, you can present this, this, uh, this, um, this banquet of law um, that they can then choose from when they're creating their characters. Couldn't agree more, Eric. It's a good yeah, point. Yeah, good stuff. Um, and I'm going to just throw a different log on the fire. Um, we're talking a lot about uh, game masters creating lore. You can also source the table, um, especially when you talk about knowledge that the player would have because of the region or whatever. You know, they can help you define that lore. Uh, even in, like, I did a cyberpunk game where one of the folks belonged to a gang at some point. And it was like, and it <laughs> well, might have been you, that? Eric. And it was like, okay, well, you <laughs> tell me gang. about the gang. What, what were they about? <laughs> Why did they act the way they did? And what was their... And even um, in the middle of the campaign, one of the other characters was going to, you know, go go and find some contact they had or some... It's like, okay, so tell me more about this group this contact belongs to and what does this group do and why do they exist and i just let the player do it as opposed to it's just some contact that they happen to know and i think it makes for a rich and so that's that goes back to you know be willing to kill your to kill your um what you know what you've already defined and let the players help define it yeah no it's so it's so much better yeah sorry i could not not agree more i could not agree more because that's I was thinking about that is, well, one of the other ways is like, we always talk about session zero. And when, you know, both definitely with James and with you, Carl, like when I'm often making a character, like we'll have a little tete-a-tete and I'll be like, okay, this is what I'm thinking for my character. And I'll kind of like, at, like where he's from and where they're, you know, and sometimes like, then that's a really good way to give lore. Like I remember James with uh, Bisbo, like, and it was both, it went both ways. Like exactly how you're yeah. talking about Carl, where I said my own things and we created lore for, from my from from my own mind, and then you also then inform me about lore because it had to do with my area, and that goes back to what I was saying before about character options. But yeah, Carl, I could not agree more about leveraging characters, and even with my setting now, like I, I'm leaving a lot of stuff open, and I left like while I have like some general lore about a, an area which has like a bunch of basically I call it the hundred the hundred uh, hundred kingdoms, and it's actually only like eighty six, <laughs> but like I'm not defining most of those. I'm not defining. Tell me you've written two pages on all hundred kingdoms. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's just a very general. There's like a couple of them that I'm writing a little bit about, but then generally I'm just leaving it open. And this is like nobody's from there. I mean, my thing is like a, um, a, a a colony type of game, so they're not. But if a player wants to be from there, I'm like, okay, create create where you're from. I don't care. Like create the yep. kingdom. Like, and that's so I'm like leaving stuff open for them to create their own. So, Carl, yeah, I, I 100%. And like when we think about my character now in your game, um, I created a whole new race that we didn't have before, the, the mousekin. We have all these anthropomorphic animals. And then you let me just run with like, oh, they're, they're an agricultural uh, uh Yeah, you defined it. You defined what they yeah, were. Yeah. Whole, yeah. yeah, and so that was really cool. And it kind of breathed life and then and then i'm and then also you're letting me unveil it to other people which i which i which is a good thing to do like let the players themselves unveil lore right um let them because they'll be excited about it and that's something i think i don't know if you guys are also thinking about this is that when you once you know a character's backstory you can private message them when it's pertinent to their backstory and then let them disseminate it to the group right i think james you might you do this a lot i'm assuming yeah yeah and and look using players to 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 um 
to assist or not even assist, but to to be a partner in the creation of the world's law is really, really amazing. And and it does take you places that you, you weren't particularly expecting to go. Um, Eric, in, in our game, you know, it was just a throwaway line. It's like, you know, when we were playing with the Empire and your character's from the Empire and you're saying, well, actually, we they breed these massive hounds that oh, yeah. they, they track down <laughs> Faye with and, and they, they arm them up and they're, they're kind of these bionic hounds. And and I'm, and, and he, very quietly he said, I hope that's okay. And I'm like, of course it's okay. It, it adds a whole other layer of, of information. And often I'll ask players to to describe, you know, if we've got a cleric, describe the prayer. Tell us about the the, the, the re- religious ritual that you that you would do in the dawn um, when you pray to your God. Um, you know, for the for the fighter, tell us about the mercenary company that that, that ravages the the north. You know, so that so that you can you you can um, you're creating these worlds together, and 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 you're not relying on just your own uh, your own uh, creativity, but but the, the very creative minds that you've that you've got around the table. Um, and do you the, ever the, do you ever private message them when like if based on a backstory you'll send somebody a message or like a yeah. note if it was on the play? Okay, a- absolutely, yeah. Although, and yes, I do that. But but to be fair, there is other ways to present lore as well. And and perhaps I I, I sometimes think that we miss the obvious one <laughs> in some ways. Uh, you know, characters have knowledge that uh, that you can assume that they know, and we've talked about this a bit, and just providing the characters with that background straight-up knowledge about you would know this. You know, of course, you would know because you're, 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 you've studied history. You would know this tidbit of history, and you can actually just hand that over to a player that has put the correct points in, in certain knowledge skills as well. So there's the use of the knowledge skills, which we'll get into a little bit later, but um, often... Just having those points and having a character that's chosen to be an expert in something means that you can use them as a conduit for a lot of this information as well. Very cool. Very cool. Any other thoughts on how we unveil it? Or let's talk about what makes it interesting. How do we make this unveiling of this information interesting to the players now? Um, I think it goes hand in hand with how we unveil it. And we've talked a little bit about what makes it interesting to players because of the sourcing the table and, and things like that. But um, it, it obviously varies from group to group, but uh, Eric kind of, what do you think is, is something that we should do as game masters to make it interesting for the players as we, as it gets revealed over time? Uh, well, I mean, I think what, what we talked about before is draw from backstories. Like I said, if, if a character has something that's parallel or directly in their backstory, they're going to be more interested in it, obviously. Um, I think you should always include some type of, like I think, James, you talked about this before too, like a sliding scale with as far as successes go and give, you know, give advantages when they do well or when they, when they do research lore. Um, mechanical advantages, you know, or narrative advantages. One of those. I think you should always reward um, if people are more prepared. Um, I mean, those are yeah, those are some of the ideas. I don't know, Carl. What do you? <laughs> what's, how do you do it? Um, well, I think I think the big one for me is I, I try to just kind of demonstrate the lore as opposed to just talk about it. Show um, and I, tell. Yeah, show versus tell. I, 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 
I think James touched on it, right? The cleric comes into town and there's two temples and they go to a temple and they're seeing the rites and the rites mean something to them. And, and that informs you somewhat about how this religion works. Um, and later, you know, the players may run into a similar ritual going on and now they understand where it came from and why it exists. And they can maybe even tie it back to this, this town that they visited. Um, and so that, that was purely without, they didn't have to make a roll or anything. They just, they just, well, maybe there might be a notice check or a perception check to pick up on a little tidbit or something, but they, they didn't have to do anything other than just watch what was going on and, and be part of the world around there. Um, so that's, I think that's the big one. And, and I think you also hit upon it, um, the character's backstory, and then just telling them things they know um, that's, interesting and unique to them that no one else knows. And so they get that little tidbit um, that makes it interesting to them. And then they get the excitement to share it with others, as we kind of mentioned before. James, what I've it- discovered this, I've discovered this fun little one that only recently, and maybe I've been doing it a while, but um, I'm running Call of the Netherdeep at the moment and Call of the Netherdeep, which is the critical role module for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, runs a lot of religious information there's 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 a whole heap of different religions in it and there's a lot of different uh um, opinions on those religions and one of the cool things i found was role-playing the differences or role-playing kind of contesting the information where you end up having role-playing arguments about the law um you know saying well the old gods never really existed did they says one npc which then prompts the player character to then articulate law oh, back to you, and then yeah, you know, yeah. and so, so you, you you know, or the 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 one true god was this god, and then and then have another NPC say that's rubbish. You know, I believe in the time of the pan- the ancient pantheon where there were seven great gods, and you can kind of law dump without law dumping, if you know what I mean. If you have an argument or you have a contested belief about the law itself you know uh you know this 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 festival is is an abomination and it should be banned or this festival is is uh, criminal according to the law you know then suddenly you can have an argument about it which then sinks that information into the psyche a little bit firmer than just you telling about the law is i guess is another way to make it interesting yeah and, and finally for me there's basically i have like it's three things that I think is a really good way, like you were talking about, Carl, about showing, not telling, um, where you don't just even lore dump, and maybe later on the characters will investigate it. But basically, you, you introduce something to the characters that's either really, really cool, really, really weird, or totally, hor- like, really, really horrifying. <laughs> like, if you do one of those things, uh, they'll often be like, then they'll really be interested, and it will, like, have a new dimension to it. So what I mean is, like, you know, if you use an NPC that's a real big badass... And but he's wearing like, you know, he, he's like super slick and he's really he's much higher level than the players. Um, just a really cool character. And then he has like maybe he has a certain like he belongs to some certain order um, and he doesn't really talk about it. But like he has an emblem 
And then so later on, the players might be curious about that because they like had such a good impression of him. And this also works with like, if you have something really weird in your lore, like throw it in there at an unexpected time, like have something really weird show up that is like, what, wait, what the hell is that? Like, what's this? <laughs> like all of a sudden there's a, you know, a flying um, uh, octopus. I don't know, with a top hat. I don't know, not that word. I not think of A flying <laughs> octopus with a top hat. I don't know. Oh my God. But, but then it was an illusion. I don't know. It, maybe it's a society of people that, like I remember, I did lore for another game where it was these people who um, um, were kind of rebels. Like so, basically, there was a a colony, and they cultivated this drug for this empire because it was like kind of like a coffee, like an up, like a like a more intense coffee, and they were kind of like the workers. But then there was like the kind of rebels of them lived out in the forest, and they just ingested this nut um, raw, and they were just all about illusion magic, and like they like their whole society was based on illusion magic. And that's how they defend themselves, but it's also how they settled arguments. And so to like unveil that, I like had like, yeah, like some weird crap like that just in the distance. <laughs> Didn't explain it, you know, mm. and that kind of like later on that when they like got into it, they're like, oh, it was an illusion. Like, just so you can kind of just or like I said, have something like really horrifying. Um, you know, maybe you weren't thinking that way, but like you like with a certain religion, you might have like if there's like some type of um, inquisition going on, you know, have them come upon the tree with just like bodies hanging and guts. I mean, if they're not kids for James, but you know, something really horrible. No, no, bodies hanging and guts works for kids. Yeah. They, they don't mind that. <laughs> so you could, I, I just mean like shock them with one of those things. Uh, mm. and, and yeah. I don't, if that makes sense. I don't know if that made sense. But. Yeah, I'd like to see an octopus in a top hat coming <laughs> coming at me. That that would be horrifying, yeah, or, both weird and horrifying. All hail the one true formerly attired octopus. That's what I'm looking forward to. Bow tie and a top hat. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, any other thoughts on that? Because um, all that is about lore and providing that information and everything. Now we start maybe start talking a little bit about uh, more the mechanical implementation, knowledge and yeah. investigation skills and, and how that becomes a reality in the game. Um, so first off, I, I guess we talk about what what are knowledge and investigation skills because we all know what combat skills are, right? We whack things with our, mm -hmm. our sticks and stuff like that. So um, what, and they're probably different for all sorts of games. So I, I don't know, what do you think, What's a knowledge and investigation skill entail? Um. Um, so for me, knowledge and investigation skills are the way characters can drill down into the law. So if the law is the encyclopedia of knowledge about the world, then the skills are the, your ability to read that encyclopedia. Um, so it's either information that a character would already have or the way that they apply their skills to gain that information, to research yeah. that information. Um, some games are really heavy into this, into this, and some games are not so heavy into it. Um, again, I'll bring this up because I, in my mind, it's probably the biggest one, is Call of Cthulhu is a research and knowledge skill heavy game. You can spend as much time in a library as you can on the battlefield in Call of Cthulhu, and, and they talk about, you name it, there's, there's a skill for it. Um, in, in some of the expanded character sheets, they have every single science on as a skill. So, no, I've got 12 points in geology, so therefore I understand what geology is. And so some games get right into the detail of the very specific knowledge that a character might have. And Middle-earth role-playing is another one where, where they got right down into very, very, very specific uh, information about um, the different survival skills based on the different types of terrain 
so that you you have different knowledges of, of surviving in the Arctic and different knowledges of surviving in the desert. Um, but for me, the skills are about how do players access the lore of your world. Yeah, I think that's a good point because when you say knowledge and investigation, the, there's really two categories there. There's the... Yep. There's the there's the the kind of book knowledge, and here's where I want to bring up something that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, so Pathfinder 2E came out, and I know they're not the only one that did it, but for me, it really really changed the way I think about characters and the way they use knowledge skills. And in, in Pathfinder 2E, um, for them, it's 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 more about recalling knowledge than knowing knowledge. So when a character makes a check, it's not that do they know it or not, it's that can they recall it or not. And that's a, for me, it was a really big kind of sea change because I think there's a lot of traps. And again, it really does depend on the game, like, 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 like uh, James said. And some games have very broad skills, right? And some have um, you know, really granular skills. And Savage Worlds has really broad skills, but they have skill specialization as a variant rule that Carl doesn't like, uh, but it's there. No, I do not. It's more very specific, <laughs> right? Um, but, but regardless of that, there is a big trap of, I have, you know, uh, science or I have um, arcana and so I'm going to always roll about everything because how do I know if I don't know something but I think that's just the wrong way of looking at it to me it's always about um, you might know something or not but it's really about you recalling it because I think we we need to limit players on they can't always roll and I think this was something coming up with the new five the the 60 6e with D&D which I don't probably don't I'm not going to play but um, one of their game designs was kind of like making it even easier for players to like gain knowledge through skills. And then in their little like bylines, they were like, you know, but don't have them roll if they don't know it. And it's like, so it's really making GMs gatekeep as far as what players may not know or not know. And I think we've talked about that, right? Like certain backstories or just because you have a knowledge, I know we might talk about this in the, in later, mm -hmm. but certain ones might have access to this and others don't. Um, so yeah. So for me, like I said, it's, it's really about like, I think you should always look at it more about recalling. As far as when we're talking about the knowledge skills, when the investigation skills, those that those are there specifically to um, disseminate clues from the world, right? To like to like find if there is something to then be knowledgeable about. And so they're they're really really distinct. Um, where investigation skills are what you rely on if you're if you're hiding the clues from players, and the clues then lead to players making knowledge rolls of some sort. I, it's I a great wanna, distinction wanna, between yeah. the two of them. Yeah, no, no, no. Very, very good. Yeah, no, and hadn't thought of it that way. And the the idea of um, recalling as opposed to your depth of knowledge, like have you ever learned this, as opposed to do you remember that lesson, is a very yeah. different thing. Yeah, very different thing. That's great. Excellent. Uh, there's a there's another thing I link to knowledge skills as well, which um, which again I'm going to um, rabbiting on about this game a lot this week. Uh, Call of Cthulhu does this really, really beautifully, and it's. You're, you use your knowledge skills to understand people within the world as, as well. Uh, mm -hmm. A good example is uh, one of my players has got um, uh, high levels of archaeology and high levels of hieroglyphs. So while in London, use the knowledge skill to understand who might be a good historian or, or, or expert in Egyptology that I could meet or that I might have met or that I might have read about in order to gain extra knowledge. So using skills not just to understand the lore of the world, but using skills to understand who the NPCs are in the world that might further that knowledge, which is a really cool extra little 
a little bit that I've started to use in Dungeons and Dragons as well. You know, oh, you've got you've got high levels in religion. Make a religion roll to see if you recognise any of the high priests within the city. And using that as well to to add extra story conduits as well, um, and to yeah. to unveil non-player characters. I mean, you don't know everything, but you know who does know everything, and you know how to find them. Yep. Right. So, excellent, excellent. Um, so. That's kind of the basis, right? So we've got um, some systems that have very detailed, some systems that are a little more generic. But in the end, we're talking about um, this knowing versus recalling. So how do we take advantage of that? So, uh, James, you talked a lot about your game that has a lot of uh, investigation research outside of sort of the the combat system. You're learning things Mm. so that when you go into combat, I'm assuming, or you go into those... um, conflicts you're prepared for them so how does knowledge play in the combat setting um what does knowledge bring to combat because that's a big part of all role-playing games right so so does knowledge go out the window knowledge skills forget about them because now we're just pulling our sticks out and whacking each other (laughs) um what do you think Eric? no i i I actually think i actually think the opposite um uh, i I despair a little bit about modern 5th edition Dungeons and & Dragons and players using intelligence as their dump stat, saying, well, intelligence in combat is the least useful because wisdom do you do with perception <laughs> and dexterity, and you know, it's all about combat. Intelligence is the least useful skill in combat, and I actively try and work against this because understanding your enemy should be the number one thing that that, uh, that, that assists you in combat. So in my games... I pair knowledge skills with direct information and understanding about how an enemy might act, what their vulnerabilities might be, what their and, and understanding what they might do. And and I, I use this a lot in terms of my games of allowing players to roll for their characters for information that pertains to a combat. Um, what do I know about goblins and their tactics? What do I know about uh, trolls and their vulnerabilities? And allowing uh, different roles to to allow those benefits to be in combat. Because often we talk a lot about, when we talk about player knowledge, where this thing about meta knowledge comes in all the time, where, where as a player I know a lot about that monster, but as a character I don't know. Well, in my mind, knowledge skills allow us to bridge that gap a little bit. You know, they don't have to experience on the battlefield in order to have known what it's about if they've studied. And in a world like a fantasy world where monsters are around the corner, you would imagine that this would be something if you ever wanted to look up a library, you know, I'm going through this forest next door and I understand there's monsters in it. I might do a little bit of research before I go into that forest because, uh, you know, surely someone survived and lived to tell the tale and written about it. And so using knowledge skills, I think, is integral for, for making good combats. And games like Call of Cthulhu really dive into this. They have a skill called Cthulhu Mythos, which is a knowledge skill, which is related entirely to knowing the mythos and knowing the, the creatures that you're going to be you're going to be defeating and the accumulation of that knowledge is a major part of the game so i'm a big big fan of knowledge skills leading combat rather than being something that you entirely ignore uh yes and I, again i'm going to bring up pathfinder 2e because they basically and again it really does depend on your game system but i think there's things we can learn from that and the thing with pathfinder 2e is they um they completely put lore skills in combat, both um, because of the amount of monsters there are with weaknesses and um, 
strengths and like you know basically they're, they're weak to certain energy damage or they have immunities all that stuff there's rules about that using in game you do actions to make knowledge checks to get that information and it's huge because there's so many monsters also it's completely integrated with class features a lot of class have feats and features that are related to knowledge checks in combat so i think we can basically draw from that as james was saying so one of the things is Having monsters that just are not in the Git book that everybody knows, right? And I think we've talked about that a lot in monster um, design is that you can take something like a troll and switch up their immunities. Maybe it's not fire. Maybe it's water for this type of troll. And they won't know yeah. that. And that's so you have to basically what it is, you have to incentivize players to do these things in combat, to spend their action economy to do it. They have to have a benefit. And like I said, one of the things is having monsters that don't comport to what they know, meta, what their meta knowledge is. Because even if you don't want a meta game, it's hard, you know, when you're fighting a troll and you know it has regeneration, it's hard to kind of separate, oh, the fire, like, do I know about the fire thing or not, right? Um, so having different monster things. And like I said, with, with Pathfinder, there's a lot of options where you do a thing in combat and you then get a bonus if you succeed. And I think that's another thing. If, if a player chooses to do, even if they know about the monster, if they use a knowledge skill in combat and they succeed... Be like, yeah, hey, you remembered a bunch of weaknesses. So your next attack, you get a plus one on the attack roll. Or you get to do extra damage on the next attack roll. Or you did so well, everybody gets a plus one as you yell out to everybody, hey, this is their weakness. You know, you can give them short-term benefits for actually using it. And that, that, that then will incentivize them to then use it in combat. Because it is a, a big ask. And that's why intelligence can be a dumb stat. Um, it's a big ask to be like, yeah, use your action economy in combat for role-playing purposes, you know, when that's like their whole round, right? Now, something mm -hmm. like 5e, this suffers because they only have one action. So maybe you do it as a bonus action or whatever. Something like Pathfinder Pathfinder has three actions, just like Savage World. So you can kind of leverage that easier. But yeah, I think the number one thing is to give mechanical benefits and to give narrative benefits in combat, like he was talking about. And so making making your own monsters really does feed into this a lot. So, yeah, so I, I think... Again, when we talk about, for example, Savage Worlds, and there's multiple things in combat. This is yet now another one, right? In Savage Worlds, you mm -hmm. can do tests and support. So you can use other skills to give people benefits. You have, obviously, yeah. the normal combat skills. Now, here's an old, another wrinkle, leveraging knowledge and, and researching skills and things you might have done to, to also get benefits. So there's there's multiple ways that a character who's maybe not typically combat effective can bring benefits to the other other folks. And it sounds like Pathfinder 2E codifies that in the oh, rules yeah. directly so that... An insane amount. Yeah, so maybe we, <laughs> so definitely we can maybe uh, learn borrow, something from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And I, and I noticed 6th edition D&D is doing the same thing. They've, they've, they've put sure a whole they heap of and, stuff in the skills yeah. there that give various benefits, but probably not to that extent, but they're definitely, they've definitely lifted a page or two there. And and that's so you have to when you're when you're doing this with players, you know, it depends again, depends on the system, but they might not know that they get benefits. So this is a time for game masters to be overt about that. To be like, Yep, hey, if you want to make a knowledge roll, like I can tell you some you know, if you're not getting through their, their toughness or you're not getting through whatever immunities they have and or you're like, Hey, if you make a knowledge roll in combat and you succeed, like I'll give you a bonus. Like tell them so they know that up front, so then they'll be more keen to do that. And then like we've talked about before, you could then use those times when they're like, when they ask about, oh, like they're in combat. They want to know about the weaknesses of the monster. They want to know if they get a bonus, right? And then you can use that time. Don't go on for very long, but you can give a little tidbit of actual lore too about the world. Oh, this troll has this resistance because they come from this country where they bred them this way. 
right? So then this is another this is another place where you can insert lore into something that the players are excited about, and it's kind of tying into their mechanical things. So it, it's not going to feel like you're just um, being uh, expert. You're not a. Uh, I lost my train of thought, but you're not like uh, being. Uh, you know, you guys know. What I'm saying. You're not being mechanical only, and, and not being you know kind of. But you're not being yeah, preachy. I, I, I mean, you're not saying. like you're yeah. not like you know you're you're giving it to them while they're getting a treat, right? So you're kind yeah, of giving them the, the, the bag yeah. with the. It's you're sweetening the medicine, as it were. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a good time <laughs> you, to kind you of. You have to take in. the history lesson, but you'll you'll get something out of it. Yeah, you'll it. get a treat. You'll get your you'll get your lollipop after you get you get your shot. So um, <laughs> very cool, very cool. So a lot, so a lot of this has all been kind of game master and and what you can do to help the player. So as a player, um, <laughs> how how do you create a character that's this knowledgeable investigative character who has that capability and and ability? Now, obviously, this is not for everyone, right? Because mm-hmm. and except in Call of Cthulhu, right? Everybody's an investigator, but in a lot of systems, it's not for everybody um to take on that role and it's just like face characters not for everybody so here's the kind of yeah. the lore master what what how does the care what does a player do to do that well um if that is something that they're interested in doing because there is mechanical benefits you're going to give them there is knowledge that they'll have that's special that others might not have that they can share and, and be a spotlight so what do you guys what do you guys think Eric, you're I more of a character because, kind of person, right? You, you're a player. Well, I think about right now. I'm in a game with you, Carl, and I'm playing basically the the knowledge character, right? And then my last game with James, I played the investigator uh, knowledge. I mean, but but I was that yeah. So I was like very. Both of those characters were very knowledge heavy, and uh, well, one case, one was an investigator. Um, yeah, it's an interesting. It's a very interesting thing. I think it's you have to take the same look at it as a face character in a lot of ways. Where first of all, you don't want to hog. You don't want to hog it. And this is something that I see a lot because it's like when somebody has that niche, like a face character or an invest, a knowledge character, they think, oh, I'm the only one that can do these roles, which I just don't think is fair and it's not equitable because everybody contributes in combat, right? Even if you're a knowledge character, even if you're the face character, you also have things to do on combat. So I think one of the things is not to just be a hog. Um, I, but when I do think you're going in, you, you just want to know what your base is, right? Like, because you can be pretty broadly knowledge, but to be a successful one, you have to have your specialties, even if it's not codified in the game system. Um, like when we think about Bisbo, um, <laughs> Bisbo. he had his specialties, right? Yeah. Bisbo, the, uh, I forget his, I forget his full name now. Bisbo, the, what? Uh, uh, I can't remember his full title and name. Bisbo P.I. Yeah, Bisbo the Hammer. Yeah, he was called himself the yeah. Hammer. Uh, he was a the Hammer PI. Thorn PI. Yeah. yeah, he was a Cobalt who learned yeah. from his private investigator um, mentor. Uh, anyways, he he had very specific things that that he was interested in. Um, he was an artificer, so obviously anything mechanical was his jam. And sometimes you're forced, right? Sometimes you're forced. Like in our game, Carl. Like when I remember at the top, we were like, well, I I, I think I even suggested I was like maybe we should have science be a um, Core skill. Core skill is something that everybody gets when they start, like something like um, stealth. Everybody gets stealth, the, the the lowest stealth when they start a game in Savage Worlds. And we made science um, a core skill because we were like a scientific kind of a Star Trek. You're an expedition. You know, yeah, very cool. Yeah, expedition. Yep. But I'm but my character is the scientist and I'm hyper specialized. Yeah, everyone so else it, is kind of dumb. It seems like they're just... Yeah, everybody else is kind like of dumb. dumb, basically. So, so I often <laughs> have to roll... 
Um, I often have to roll more than I would probably like, but I still try to keep the character within its bounds. Like he's like, so he's, he has the curious hindrance and, but I only kind of let it happen when it's things that he cares about, which is biology. Biology is his main jam. So I make more checks when it has to do with biology and I, and I activate his hindrance when I think this is a really good flaws to have too, if you're a knowledgeable character, tie flaws into your character's thirst for knowledge. Cause that's really fun, right? To have a flaw either of you're kind of the absent-minded professor type of thing, or um, you get laser focus on a certain one, or you get really stubborn about your field. So always have your specialty. You either, even though you can be broad, always have your specialty and really leverage that as far with role playing. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm kind of, yeah, I've kind of. No, it's it's place, it's, but, it's fantastic, and um, and and remembering that not all not all games masters. Hmm will remember that you've got yeah. certain skills as well. So it, it, I, in my mind, it's important, and I do appreciate it, when players will remind me, oh, by the way, I, I've, I've got this knowledge. I specialise. I am a, an archaeologist, and I specialise in Egyptian archaeology. So uh, am I able to decipher this information, or can I recall something based on, on my skill? I think it's important for players to, to nudge your storytellers when, when, when you need to, to remind them of those uh, of those those specialities when you've got them as well. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely good point. And that's, is it, that's a, yeah, talk to your game master, either remind them maybe that something's from your backstory that you might have uh, prior knowledge or you, you ask though, you always be like, Hey, I had this in my backstory. Would I know something about this or can I roll on this? Um, well, and sometimes um, you don't even should even ask for a role, right? Like to that archaeologist, yeah, it's like, can I, I decipher this? Yeah. Yeah. You, you are an archaeologist who knows hieroglyphics. Yes. You can absolutely, decipher that unless there's something unique about it that you have to roll and say oh you know you learn something if it if a failure isn't interesting then and they should just know it then let them know it i mean that's just like you know i even say that for face characters right if if it yeah if you do a good job and you know you should be able to smooth this person well just smooth them there's no reason to make you roll if it's something you're just competent at right same thing for yeah, knowledge that, I think. definitely um, and there's, but yeah, there's so an I, important don't be thing. afraid to ask the GM. Is I think that's the big thing. Either ask the GM of, um, could I possibly roll in this, or would I know this? Because if you don't want a meta game, right? It's like, would my character maybe know this or have a chance yeah. to know this? And that's the that goes back to for me recalling not knowing. Like, uh, too, it was like, would my like you know when you do the roll, it's like your character might know it because of your backstory, but it's really can they recall it in the moment. Um, Anyways, and, and this is important too. Um, you make an important point. If if you liken, I, I liken this to face characters and 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 social yeah. social skill challenges where you might not be the world's best role player at the table, right? So so in the end, you've got to default to your character's skills in being able to persuade someone or be able to intimidate someone or be able to, to kind of fast talk in a situation. In the similar vein, as a player, I may know nothing about science zero about biology and yeah. so you have to default to your character that they that they are far more knowledgeable than you and so prompting your storyteller and kind of using the character as the basis to get around some of this meta knowledge it's a really good point eric about avoiding the meta knowledge by by tying it to what your character should and may know i think it's a really important point and then finally i think it's it's utilizing it in unique ways like whatever your specialty is I find when I really role play with characters, like my character, so my character in, in, in Carl's game, who's really smart and is a scientist, um, you know, and like, because I, I have my own kind of like love of 
biology and I love space. So I have some knowledge. Me and Carl have a lot of science fiction like uh, similarities. So some of the things I've been jiving on. But generally, like I find myself when I really role play it is I find myself not being smarter, but like saying things smarter, like having more ideas about that. When I have a dumber character or a character doesn't care about that, I pretty much don't even think about it. Like I don't even bother to think about it. I pretty much like, you know, this is what I'm focused on. So I'm not going to even make a guess about this unless it kind of is within my, so basically what I'm saying is when you really role play it, um, you'll find yourself like making roles when appropriate or making like assumptions when appropriate because, you know, you can kind of make yourself dumb. Like I remember with Bisbo, um, you know, I would do some really boneheaded things because he just had huge gaps in his knowledge and he yeah. didn't understand, like, while he was really smart about things that he would research and he was really smart about arcane and mechanical things. He was, he had no idea about like the history of the world um, and mo of some things. And he had no idea about like cultures and societies. Right. Mm -hmm. And he made like a lot of faux pas. Like one of the first things I did was like I learned Sylvan swear words from somebody and then I, I pissed <laughs> off um, like an archfey because I swore at him because I just because like he had no idea. So, um, you know, with smart characters, make them stupid, too. They're always going to be stupid over some things. Right. That's I think that's a good just to balance them out. Yeah. That, that mm. old book knowledge versus uh, street knowledge. Street kind smarts. Of, yeah. yeah. Street smarts. Right. So. Um, okay, uh, James, you got any uh, last thoughts on when we talk about creating a knowledgeable character? Uh, no, look, to be fair, Eric's the guy, isn't he? He's, right, he's the yeah. guy who's done so many knowledgeable characters. I'm going to defer to him. No, I I've got nothing more to add, Eric. I think, I think you've nailed it. You nailed it. And overall, I think uh, any other final thoughts? Because I think on this episode, we nailed the topic. <laughs> For sure. Ben agrees. Ben agrees. <laughs> yep, the dog agrees. So, uh, <laughs> Or maybe doesn't agree. I don't know what that, I, I don't speak dog. So I don't have that knowledge skill. I can't make a roll. Um, so anyway, hey, thanks everyone for tuning in and hopefully you got something out of it. Remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com to learn about our projects um, and uh, contact us, support us. Uh, please email gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com if you have a question need some advice, have a comment. Um, Eric would still love to adjudicate some differences of opinion. That would it's be fun. <laughs> uh, please, somebody. Uh, and so and if, <laughs> if you like the show, please help us with positive reviews on the podcatcher of your choice. Um, we love doing the show and we'd love to keep doing it. So uh, send us an email. Tell us if you like what we're doing. Um, you know, any suggestions, I'd, I'd love it. So once again, this is Carl with Eric and James. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Happy games.